Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues to you firsthand from those involved. Uh, I'm your host today, Grant Schwalbe, and today with me, I've got Rodney Hewitt. Uh, welcome, Rodney. Um, can you tell me a little Hi. bit about your department and uh, tell us a little bit about you, yourself as well? Well, I'm a, I'm a lieutenant with uh, Snohomish County Fire District 7. Um, our department, we're about 150 square miles, 11 stations, around 200 some odd guys. Um, and a little bit about me, I don't know, I got, I got hired in 92. I've been on the job for, for a little while. Um, my little brother's a Seattle fire medic. My dad's retired Seattle fire. And so that's a little, cool. little of my background, but. Cool. Uh, tell us what kind of resources you guys get on a typical house fire. So we have, we have a couple levels. We have a, just like fire residential, and then we have a confirmed level. And so um, on a fire residential, we're going to get a, a battalion chief and, and two engines going in route. And then once we have reports that it's confirmed, um, we'll get a full alarm of battalion or two battalions, four engines, a truck, a medic unit, and an MSO. And what's staffing look like on engines and trucks for you? We're, we're three. Gotcha. So who's yeah. typically doing the searches for your department and what, what do those searches typically look like? Man, typically it's going to be our second due, right? I mean, our, our first due, we're, we're going for fire control, um, you know, and, and making and taking space. But um, usually it's going to be for my house. That's usually the medic unit um, is arriving second um, unless they're on the transport. So second due is typically doing search and, and for the most part, we're doing oriented search um, for our residential stuff. Um, again, it depends on the size of the house and, and the conditions, but things happen pretty fast. We're, we're fairly quick to get in um, and, and do an aggressive search. So. What's the time delay between like the first units arriving and the next units arriving for you guys? Um, well, in some of our battalions, uh, you know, our engines are stacked on top of each other because there's more resources around them. Um, my first due, we're a little more resource poor. Um, so my second due engine is four to five minutes behind us. Um, but but I'm at a headquarters station, so we've got, you know, an engine uh, dedicated, a medic dedicated with two, and an aid car most of the time dedicated with two, plus a battalion. So um, timeline, you know, we're pretty quick with the medic unit or an aid car showing up with us. So it happens fairly fast. We can We can cover both those tactical priorities real quick. Cool. Uh, so take us back to April. Uh, I think it was April 19th, 2020. And, uh, tell us about this call. Yeah. So, uh, man, it was 11 o'clock or 11 15 in the morning, you know, and not our typical time for catching a, a call like this, but, uh, with everybody home because of, because of the COVID thing, you know, we, uh, we catch a, a fire residential, so it's not confirmed. A neighbor's reporting and he's seeing smoke from the backside of, uh, his neighbor's house. So, um, we had just finished PT, um, started, started, uh, jumping in the rig. And then of course we get more reports as we're en route. And this was, this was the prototypical company officer exam. My battalion chief was out of the area visiting one of the other stations. And so it was just us in the medic unit at the time. So as we're going en route, um, chief balanced us up to a confirmed response. So we got our full, you know, our full alarm coming to us. So um, this wasn't very far from our station, right? So we're there pretty quick. Um, as, as we roll up, I see 
you know, I see light smoke coming from the Charlie side. I don't have a good picture of that backside, um, but it looks like it's on the second floor. And, and as we drive up, there's, you know, I can see that on our MDCs that our police officers had arrived probably about a minute before we did. Um, they were there pretty quick. And what was cool is, man, they, they spotted it out of the way. So we had the whole front of the house. We didn't have any cops blocking us. Um, it was nice. And so as, as I get out and we're, we're doing our stretch to the front door, I'm met by two or three officers that are barreling out of the house. And so this is a medium two-story split level. And so they come out saying that, hey, there's a fire in the master bedroom on the right. And they thought that the little girl was was inside that that bedroom on the right because they had checked the ones on the left. And of course, dad's in the front yard saying my, my little girl's up there. So um, because I know the area and I, I knew where the fire location was, we didn't do a 360, man. We just busted up there to 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 get into that room and knock it out. I left my medic unit on site alpha because I was expecting to find her really quick, right? We had a, a solid location of fire and where she was um, from PD. So my, my whole thought process was we we're going to grab her real quick. I'm going to bring her out to our medic unit and they're going to, you know, start rendering care for her. So we made the room, you know, conditions were, it, it was not much of a fire. It's pretty bread and butter. It was the, the window was intact. You know, the, they had closed the door. So um, really, this is just a room of contents fire. I hadn't broken out into the structure. It, you know, ate up the, the headboard pretty good. And then once it got into the memory foam, it just overfueled that room. And so it was zero viz and decayed, you know, just waiting. So uh, my firefighter, who happened to be a probie, I got two probies on this call, by the way. Um, you know, he, he knocks it. We start searching real quick. and. You know, I'm expecting that she's in that that bedroom or in the uh, the bathroom or maybe the closet, right? That's where that survival space is probably going to be in this master bedroom. And and we, I don't find her right away. And so I called the medic unit up to, to assist with search because things aren't evolving as, as I was planning or we thought. So medic unit came up and they, they searched behind us and my medic went to one of the bedrooms that was uh, one of the kids' rooms. And in there, they do a quick search. They don't find her. She's not answering, right? She didn't answer for her dad. She didn't answer for the cops that went up there. Um, I poked my head in there and yelled as we were making the, the fire room. Nobody said anything. And visibility was a little poor after we opened, you know, the master bedroom and, and started making a hit. But um, my medic they sweep that room. They don't see anything. They don't hear anything. He looks at this little tiny toy chest and, and it's tiny and it looks like a little plastic pirate's chest. And he opens it up and it's full of stuffed animals. And all he sees is this little bud sticking up. So she had buried her head underneath all the stuffed animals and was not moving at all. So he yells, got one, picks her up and runs her out. I radioed that we had her. Um, I had, you know, I had no idea of, of whether she was conscious or, or not. She should have been because the space was pretty clear because of the cop shutting the door. Um, but ends up being a healthy little girl running around in the front yard by the time I made it back out. So 
it's a cool story. I, uh, when we saw it online, I just had to reach out to you to, to try to find out a little bit more because typically, you know, we always hear that, you know, kids are going to hide and, and stuff like that. And you just don't expect them to be hiding in a bunch of stuffed animals. Like takes me back to the, the picture I can see in my head is that uh, ET uh, where the girls yeah. in the closet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, <clears throat> so the, so you arrived on scene and, and you had confirmed reports. Somebody's inside. Um, yep. What, did that change how you guys did the search at all? It's, it's... No, well, actually, yes, it did. Um, I decided to leave my medic unit out just because I had a known location of, or what we thought was a known location of, of our girl. So my whole thought was, man, we're going to make that room, find her in there really, really quick. Cause it wasn't going to be a blind search. You know, we knew where she was and um, we were going to pull her out. I mean, hindsight, you know, I would have sent that medic unit up there with us as they're arriving to search. Um, that would have been our typical bread and butter if we don't have a known location. But this was, I didn't have another engine on scene for a while. My chief wasn't on scene. It was just us two. And I was like, man, I'm, we're going to grab her real quick and pull her out because this, is, this isn't a big house. This is a, you know, maybe 1,800 square foot split level. So these bedrooms aren't huge you know, contain fire in that room and that's where she's at. We're going to have her quick. So you couldn't have put four guys up there anyway into that little room. So, and of course it was full stuff, you know, everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. So how mentally when you you knew somebody's inside and they weren't, you know, typically when you find somebody, it's a quick sweep and they're out in the open, they're in a path of travel, they're on a bed. Uh, It's pretty clear. How much of a mind game was it when that wasn't the case here? Um, you know, for a second, I, I, I did, I kind of, I thought this, well, shit, she's not here. Um, or I'm not finding her. I I need some more hands up here. And it, um, my thought process is I know she's up here. We just got to, there was, it wasn't a clean room. So we had to sift through a lot of things. Um, we each have a personal tick on us. Um, and so we're able to, you know, quickly look for, for her with a tick, but we're not seeing her visibility's low. Once we, you know, started, we busted the window out to get a little bit of, of visibility in there. Um, we were able to do a little more thorough search, but it was, it was tight getting around the master bed. Um, you know, but it was just one of those, man, we're, we're almost basically doing a secondary search and being really methodical in that room. Um, but my mindset was, well, crap, I got to get more hands up here to search the rest of this second floor. Cause we're not finding what we were told we'd find. So you brought up a good point about their stuff being everywhere. When you guys do searches, it sometimes seems like fire academy searches. They tell you to swing the halligan, uh, but you really can't differentiate between a baby doll and, and blankets when you're swinging a halligan. So is it typical for you guys to, to search like with your hands and leave your tool at yes. the door or something like that? Yeah. Um, I left my tool at the door. Um, so did my, my firefighter. Um, it's not our culture to search with a halogen, especially in, re- you know, we're talking about residential stuff here and, and a room and contents fire. Um, it's not needed. Um, and, and a little girl searching for a little girl is, and she's five, right. And she's not a big girl. She's small, you know, so it's a little different than, than making a grab on a, on an adult, you know, they're easier to find because they're bigger. Um, you know, you can sweep over some clothes and stuffed animals and, and miss a little tiny girl. So we were trying to be real methodical and, and make sure that, that we were looking everywhere. 
Cool. Um, with the grab, I'm assuming because of her size, it was just a thrower over your shoulder type thing. Is, is that how that went yep. down or how'd you get her out? Yeah, my medic Travis. Well, so I'm in the fire room and he's behind me. Um, and when I hear him yell, got one, um, all I see is him with, she's in his arms and he's, he's sprinting. Um, he got her out quick. Um, cause smoke had filled that room at that, at that time. Right. Cause, cause of, we made the fire room and, and made the hit and didn't have ventilation yet. So, um, he got her out real quick, but she was, I mean, her nose was on the ground. So she, she was breathing good air through stuffed animals the whole time. So, so it was pretty cool. So the grab was fairly easy. You know, she's tiny. He just scooped her up and got her out. It was, it was fast. Cool. Uh, is there anything else lessons learned out of this one that you'd like to share with uh, the listeners? Um, you know, I, I'd say, man, especially when a kid's involved, uh, that thorough search, the fact that, that she didn't make a sound, she didn't move. She didn't move for her dad, for the cops that were in there before um, we got there. She didn't, she didn't make a noise when, when I yelled, um, when the medic unit was in that room searching everywhere. Um, and that chest was hidden. So it wasn't like it was sitting out in the middle of the room. It was on the other side of a couple bunk beds and stuffed in the corner and had stuff all over it and on top of it. I mean, there's stuffed animals everywhere. You know, guys were going through them, but, but to look at a little tiny box and say, there's no way that someone's inside of that. Um, you know, it's, she fit into a space that you would look at and go, there's nobody in there. There's no way it's too small. Um, I'd say, man, kids, kids will hide if they're scared um, and they'll hide in a, a smaller place than you can think. So if you don't see them on that initial quick, you know, hasty scan of the room and yell and sweep, man, especially if the visibility's low, be really methodical in the small places, use your tool, you know, use your tick and your senses. Um, you know, cause luckily we had a positive outcome on this one. Um, the other thing that made this happen was our police officers actually isolating that room. If that door would have been left open, um, we'd have had a different outcome. Absolutely. It would have taken those other two rooms in the hallway fairly quick. You know, those memory foams are like gasoline, man. They, it would have torched that room really, really fast. So. Yeah, outstanding work by those guys. Uh, last question I've got for you is from um, arrival to victim coming out. Can you give us an estimate of what that time frame was like? Ooh, from on scene to pulling her out, I, because we had a hard time finding her at the beginning, I want to say it was two minutes. It, it felt like 15 in, in the moment, but uh, it maybe two minutes. It was, it was quick. That's outstanding. It, 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 that's funny. You said because it took us a long time and it's still under two minutes. So that's an important, yeah. important part to highlight. But uh, Rodney, I definitely appreciate you share, sharing the story with us. Um, if you are on a grab or assist, alive or deceased, uh, we ask you to go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. Uh, take that short survey for us. The information is for us. It's by us and it's updated real time. It's a great um, training tool for you to use with your companies. Uh, if you'd like to share your story of your grab on our podcast, reach out to me, Grant Schwalbe. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Residential Primary Search Making the Grab, or When Things Go Bad. Um, Justin McWilliams uh, from Brothers in Battle. He also does the Search Culture on Facebook, or Nick Ledeen. Uh, we're all trying to record grabs. And again, our goal is to, to get uh, the stories of real-life rescues to you firsthand. So thank you, Rodney, and uh, thank you to the listeners. 
Yeah, I appreciate you, brother.